For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. A C3 exclusive. All right. Welcome to the C3 Panthers podcast. It's a special combine edition where we've got a, a friend, a, a longtime friend of the podcast, David Harrison, who is what I would like to say now, an insider. David Harrison is the host of Locked on Bucks podcast as well as writer for Bucks Nation. David Harrison, fantastic to have, to be hanging out with you again, man. You bring so much great insight. I cannot tell you how excited I was when you met, when you messaged me. I felt like an insider, David. <laughs> I felt like an insider when you said, hey, anybody you want to talk to? Thanks for coming on the C3 Panthers podcast, man. I appreciate you having me on. I mean, yeah, I was, I was reaching out to to you guys and, and some other folks that I've talked to in the past. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, nobody gets to where they're at without the help of other people and, and the participation of others. You guys are part of that for me. And I mean, I'm nowhere near hopefully where I'm going to end up, but uh, I'm enjoying where I'm at now. So yeah, of course, reach out to, to guys that I think do good work and, and are knowledgeable and uh, don't necessarily over uh, what do we what do we call it uh, kind of hype up things a little too much more than they should, but are at the same time passionate and knowledgeable about what they're talking about. So Heck yeah, yeah I, was, I was more than happy to do it. Don't worry, we'll hot take you enough. Don't <laughs> you will. no, but it, it's so cool to have this. Is that we have we have just been, or at least I, I know my or my side of things that just a group of friends that have taught football and mm -hmm. yes we have taken it seriously but we don't take ourselves too seriously and you have done such great work it has been awesome to watch I, i've watched it first of all i've watched you go and and i haven't seen it from the beginning to the end and like you said you're gonna go f so many more places but boy have you taken your work seriously and it has shown at every individual point draft guru here David Harrison, but also I've got Cody Lashney here, draft guru himself on that trajectory. Don't worry. He's going to follow that trajectory, that trajectory himself. Cody, good to be hanging out with you again. My man, you know, I love talking football and I love talking all things draft. Thank you to David for joining us tonight. 
Um, I'm excited, man. There, uh, it takes a special certain kind of person to get excited about this stuff, seeing prospects through bench pressing and running 40 times and answering questions about the NFL. I love it, and I'm glad that David loves it too and that we can pick his brain tonight. Hey, Dave, tell us where our listeners can follow you because I'm going to tell you guys this. If you're not following him, you're missing out because this is a level perspective. Clearly, my man is interested in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but I tell you, he doesn't get too high, too low on anything, and he's dealt with us and put up with me for several years (laughs) Dave, tell them how they can follow you on Twitter. Yeah, so I'm uh, at DH82 underscore Bucks on Twitter. And, and like you said, I, mean, I just love football. I'm a football guy first uh, and a Buccaneers guy, uh, I guess, second. I mean, I cover the Buccaneers for, for the site, so that's that's kind of what I do. But uh, my history, I mean, you guys have been part of my history. I've I've covered the entire NFL. I've covered the AFC North. I've covered the Cleveland Browns. I've, I've covered all kinds of different – I just love football, man. It's, it's great. Look and, at yeah, me. draft season is my Christmas, so. He's turning into the media member right there because he loves football first. We love the Panthers, and that's what he knew. He 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 sent me a message. He said, "Look, I'm here at the combine," and I was like, "Oh my god, my man's at the combine!" <laughs> Tell me this is first of all before we get into all the things we want to know about guys we're interested in what was it like was this your first time at the combine what was it like yeah it was my first time in the combine and it was it was interesting to watch because i've been able to attend some pro days in the past but the combine just really is it's like it's like a pro day on on all kinds of steroids and just nonstop work i think we put in probably 15 16 hours of work each day uh james and i go in there i've got like two or three recorders and cell phone files uh, sitting on my computer and on my desk still waiting to be transferred. Just like, hours How do you go through it? How do you go through all that material? That must be ominous in a, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard, but it's fun. I mean, like like you said, I mean, just the love of the game and love of football, just hearing these kids talk about what they're trying to do and hearing some of the coaches and the GMs. Uh, Ron Rivera, I mean, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of Coach Rivera, even though he's, he's a Panthers coach, obviously. And, you know, he, he's a guy that I look up to. And so to get to the chance, to, I was going to go watch him and and watch him talk no matter what anyway. So, yeah, so getting to get some input from you guys on what you want to hear uh, from from your coach was was definitely something I wanted to do. And just I mean, just all the personalities, even some of the behind the scenes stuff, uh, meeting guys like Steve Atwater, uh, seeing John Lynch, you know, kind of out and about on the town, just relaxed and getting to, to kind of say just a couple of words, nothing, nothing too impactful, but um, just kind of seeing all the the busyness behind the scenes and everything was, was eye opening and knowledgeable. And then just meeting a lot of people. Um, I've got some, some friends who work uh, for like NFL network, NFL.com, other publications. And so getting to meet them in the flesh, uh, something that uh, Jake Arthur and I kind of talked about as a Colts writer is that yeah, you get to dude, meet a lot yeah, of people. We've had him on the show. Yeah, exactly. And he, he's someone I know that I got to meet for the first time. So that was, that was really just a lot of fun. Just putting those, uh, personal experiences to some of these online interactions was a blast. David, you mentioned Ron Rivera, and Ron mm-hmm. Rivera at this point um, in, in time is a little bit controversial. Mm-hmm. Fans either love him or hate him. Uh, frankly, it feels like most are uh, are kind of not too favorable with Ron Rivera now, but you mentioned that uh, you were at his interview and you got to hear him speak a little bit. Did you have a specific takeaway that you took from Ron Rivera during his time at the podium? And if so, what was it? 
And particularly in comparison maybe to other coaches. You know, because you don't get to see everybody each year. So you got Mm -hmm. to see Ron Rivera. Maybe you got to see some other coaches. So what's the takeaway? And also maybe slightly the feel in comparison to other coaches. Yeah. Yeah. So Ron himself, uh, the thing that really that that I walked away with with Coach Rivera is that he's just a real dude. Um, The thing that I was really happy with him is you asked a question or whoever, uh, Jordan, I'm going to butcher her last name. Rod Rod Reed. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I got to meet her there. Um, she, she asked some awesome questions. I mean, like, uh, that was kind of one of the developmental points for me. I was kind of watching her and some of the conversations and I'm like, Oh, that's a good question. Oh, that's a good question. Kind of storing them away later. So in the future I can be the smart guy asking the really good questions. Um, she was awesome, but he doesn't think he doesn't pause. Like he answers your questions. Mm. And I know that seems like a, a kind of a small thing, but when you're dealing in an event that essentially just breeds circumlocution, like having a coach come up there and just instantly spit out an answer shows you kind of the genuineness of what he's saying and, and that he means what he says, where comparatively, exactly. Uh, whereas comparatively like Dan Quinn, like I sat in on, on his presser and there were, there were some, some awkward silences in in between some of the questions, some of the answers get, and you can just kind of tell he was formulating an answer. Uh, John Gruden is another one. Like he's just a guy who just spits out that information. Uh, James was able to talk to him off the side after his presser was done. And he's the same guy uh, off the off the podium as he was on the podium. And you just kind of get the feeling for who's comfortable in their skin and comfortable with what they're presenting in front of everybody and who is definitely putting up barriers. Uh, so that was that was a lot of things. That was one of the most interesting things to see. And Coach Rivera is definitely just I mean, he is who he is, uh, which I respect, you know, to a certain extent. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. You know, Cody, one of the cool things about hearing that answer, though, when we discuss the need for maybe a change, right, or discontent with someone, that tells you something a little bit about the value of being there before, you know, is that experience does matter. And the fact is that you're not learning how to coach. You're not. Well, actually, you are always learning how to do your job better. But imagine being the first time asking the questions, the first time trying to do the hand 40s, the first time doing these things. Even if you're remarkably talented, there is something to say about being there more than once. Now, when when Dave, uh, when David Ans- uh, sent me a message, he said, "What do you want me to ask if I get, if I can get there to Coach Rivera?" I this was my favorite part. I said I gave him the most specific question, and he goes, "I don't think that's the questions you ask at the combine." And that <laughs> was I asked him because I'm dying to know how come KK is on the left is on the left. And Dontari Poe is on the right when we do mm-hmm. our tackle stuff. And I'm sitting there and I send him that answer. He goes, I think they're more interested in like, uh, people that they're scouting. Yeah. He, Dave, you <laughs> sent me the nicest response back. And <laughs> all right. So then I revised my question back and I said, Hey, we need offensive linemen. How do you gauge this when you're drafting a person about versatility? You need a center. You need a tackle. You need a guard, right? 
Like, how do you balance the idea of a good player on the line with versatility? You said you were there, sitting there, and Jordan asked a similar question. Tell me, what did you take away from that? And Ron Rivera, how do coaches balance this? The need, right, for tackle, guard, center, with the desire for certain versatility. Right. So, yeah, she definitely she definitely asked a question hitting on that topic. And it's funny because he actually uh, talked. I can't remember what sparked it. But he actually talked about short and Poe a little bit. And I was kind of hoping I was like, oh, man, I can actually get that question. Yeah, that kind of fit in the flow. So wild. The conversation. Yeah. But the uh, the moment passed, unfortunately, I wasn't able to ask it to him. Um, if I was one of the beat writers, I would have because sure. uh, so that's something I don't know if every, everybody knows. But when they leave the podium, they kind of go off. I call it the shadows. They go off into the shadows with all the, the beat writers for the team and the, they get to kind of pester them one on one without the national guys and, and everybody else around. Uh, but obviously not being a Panthers beat writer, I didn't uh, partake in that session. But yeah, as far as versatility on the offensive line, I mean, I think a lot of the coaches pretty much echo the same sentiment where, you know, you have kind of your premium positions and especially having a right handed quarterback, your left tackle is always going to be a premium position. Your center is going to be a huge position. And I know that's something that you guys are kind of looking for. Um, and the ability to be versatile is key, but at the same time, you want to make sure they're good at what you're going to ask them to do. Uh, so yeah. it's like having, you know, offenses that like to run uh, kind of a kind of a high-low system with their wide receivers. So you want that big guy who can high point the ball or your, your average size guy who can jump through the roof and go up and high point the ball. But you also want your guy with strong hands who can make the play, you know, under the linebackers or between the safety and the linebackers. And they don't always need to do everything. So you can have a guy like Curtis Samuel who kind of fits a specific role within your offense and be able to utilize him properly while other guys fill in those gaps. So it's just really all a balancing act. And if you can get uh, some of the same things in, in those guys, then that's that's where you get kind of your first-round talents. Uh, a guy like Garrett Bradbury is, is someone who comes to mind uh, for the yeah. Carolina Panthers. I think that's going to be a guy who should be near or at the top of their board because he can do what they need him to do now, but he also provides versatility. So in the future, if they need to ask him to shift over and do one or two other things, on the left or right side of the offensive line, he can also be successful there. You know, it, it really does kind of make me wonder, you know, uh, so you mentioned Bradbury, who I have seen lately in discussion for the 16th pick. I've even seen someone like Andre Dillard, who has been shooting up draft boards as a left tackle prospect. He te- tested mm-hmm. very well. It really makes me wonder, uh, you know, what what the Panthers value more, the interior of that offensive line like we had in 2015 with Andrew Norwell, Khalil, yeah, and Trey great Turner. Point. Great point. Or, or or do we want that franchise left tackle that basically Cam Newton has not had Jordan since Gross. 2013 when Jordan, Jordan Gross, Gross left? Yeah. So my question to you is, was there any sort of um, inclination as to what positions the Panthers are looking at or looked at in the combine and around this time of year? Uh, specifically as far as along the offensive line, no. That's not something that we were able to get out of them. I don't know if the beat writers got anything out of them. Or not Most even on the of, offensive line, just just mm-hmm. you know positions in general on, on the field, just anywhere. Yeah, I feel like offensive line and edge are definitely going to be the priorities for the, for the Panthers coming to their draft strategy. And I don't know how you guys feel about it. So me being an outsider as far as the Panthers are concerned, looking at the draft class and looking at draft needs. Um, what, what are your guys' thoughts on Shaq Thompson moving inside if, if you guys go to a 3-4? Mm. 
that's been a big point of discussion uh, with us on the podcast. Um, mm-hmm. We've been talking about Shaq a lot. Uh, some of us are higher on him. Some of us are lower on him. Tony and I want us to Shaq, uh, resign Shaq just so that way he wouldn't cost as much towards the salary this year. Nine million. Nine million right now. Around Mm -hmm. nine million. Um, I I wouldn't mind him as another inside linebacker next to Luke. I do not trust his ability to rush the passer as an Mm -hmm. outside linebacker on a 3-4 defense. But um, he certainly isn't um, a a bad piece on our roster He would have to be the four, like like the the least – he more of a coverage guy. Well, you know, here, and maybe we need the outsider perspective on this, is, David, I, the one thing that concerns me as we hear these talks about the Panthers potentially giving multiple looks, what we, we, what we don't know is are they committed to just mixing it up, right? Do we want to give a couple of... Mm-hmm. Uh, three four looks throughout the game or do we really want to philosophically shift to a three four defense and where i think we're sitting at this is we don't know we don't know what to do a if we're right now there's deficiencies in the defense that we run Mm -hmm. what what do you do when you shift to the other defense now the question i would say this we shift to a 3-4 defense and you want to put out a Shaq Thompson, you want to put out a Luke Keekley. you want to maybe drop a Marquise Haynes in there. I don't know. I How have you ever seen, have you been a part of a team that philosophically shifted and not like obviously you're not in the team, but have you seen mm-hmm. a team shift from a 4-3 to a 3-4 I'm kind of just nervous about the idea, period. I don't really know how to even think about it, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely tricky. And I know, like, the Giants are a team that did it last year. Uh, the Buccaneers are actually in the process of doing it this year with their new coaching staff. They're expected to move from a 4-3 to a 3-4. And with the Carolina Panthers, I mean, just just kind of looking at the roster, I mean, I think I think moving to a 3-4 makes a lot of sense because – Poe. You have Don Terry Poe who can yeah, enter the line. Exactly. And I think Short and I think Vernon Butler, honestly. I mean, I don't know kind of how the Panthers fan base feels about him. Vernon Butler is a guy we don't know. Very high on. We just yeah, don't we know. Don't know. Yeah, we right. Exactly. Know. Really a lot of mystery. Very much. Mystery. Yeah. <laughs> I thought when he came out of the draft into the draft that he fit best as a three four defensive end. So moving to a three four could very well breathe some new life into his career. Uh perfect timing too, because you gotta decide what you guys are gonna do with him uh next year, right? So, so that would be great, and I think Luke Keekley, obviously one of the best guys in the middle. He can do whatever. He can do whatever. Yeah, um, moving, moving uh, Thompson there in the middle with him. I think you've got a very solid five man group right there, kind of at the at the front, and then in the middle of your defense. So then, what you're really looking for is your edge, and this is the class. Like if you're if the, if the Carolina Panthers are going to make a move to a three four, this is the class to do it because you can literally find an edge in the second round and the third round if you want to go offensive line in the first round and you're literally going to draft three starters if you do that and i and i, I legitimately think that you're going to draft three starters in the first three rounds if you have that capability uh to do that let's now, talk as I said, about i don't know if the panthers have a third round draft pick to be honest we do we do we got okay. every yeah. we got everywhere yeah. so tell me this as just mm-hmm. to piggyback on that statement why is this you're at the draft 
Why is the I mean not at the draft, you're at the combine. Why mm-hmm. is this the year of the edge rusher? They're just oh man, like this might be the best defense like pass rushing class in the history of the NFL. And that was that was said so many times during the combine, and it's the truth. I mean, it's just the honest truth. And and when and when you look at some of these kids, I mean you, you look at some of these guys and, and you can read through some of the quote unquote BS, right? They've all been coached by their agents. They've all been taught by their PR people on how to, to dance and perform in front of the media. And that's great. But there's just something about having experience and just talking to people, whether you've covered sports or you just talk to people in your day-to-day life. If you interact with people on a regular basis, you know how to read through a certain level of BS. And some of these guys, I mean, you, you look at guys like Brian Burns, you look at guys like Montez White, you look at guys like Jalen Ferguson, they are, they're ready to eat. Like they're going through this process, but you can see almost when you look at them and talk to them that the energy to just get out there and fight on the NFL field is just ready to go. And then you kind of look at, and that's where you, you got to pick the right pieces, right? Because then you look at a guy like Ja'Kai Polite. I know he's gotten a lot of heat, you know, the kid out of Florida. And I'll be honest with you, I agree with a lot of the heat that he's getting, but not for the reason he's getting it. Um, honestly, the kid, he, he came across very soft, very unsure of himself, very hesitant, and that's not the guy you want to put on the edge of your defense. Uh, so, so like I said, the pick's got to fit, but this is the year, like I said, to, to do the switch if you want to because you got a lot of hungry dudes out there ready to be the best in what's going to end up being the best edge rusher class in the history of the NFL. Yeah, I, David, I could not agree with you more, man. Then there's even players that – don't necessarily have the name value that are going to be available in the second and the third round, the Charles O'Menohues, the Ben Bonovus, the Chase Winoviches. There really are a lot of players that, that as that, you said, What's they that kid from Old Dominion? What's the uh, kid? O'Shane, O'Shane Zimenez. And I'm kinda, I kind of like him, too. I know everybody's down on him, but go ahead. Well, he has a lot of potential, certainly. But, um, David, my question to you is, uh, you know, how many – how many players were you able to interview in your time at the combine? And I know you mentioned Jakai Polite, and you know mm-hmm. his. I feel his interviews got the most um, coverage because it kept on mm-hmm. saying that the teams were bashing him mm-hmm. and just had nothing good to say. And overall, just his performance wasn't very good um, in the yeah. drills. So, but was there a uh, an interview that stood out to you as as someone who? Um, I mean, I, I can't say it would be a fit for the Panthers, but just kind of blew you away on the microphone and that you think would be a day one starter, kind of just from their maturity that you saw in their interviews. Yeah, there were there were a few. Um, so quarterbacks, we really didn't talk to a lot of quarterbacks. The Buccaneers are pretty sold on Jameis Winston right now. Uh, right. So we didn't talk to a whole lot of quarterbacks. I know James, uh, my co-host over Locked on Bucks, he talked to uh, – uh, his name is, is the Penn State kid, uh, McSorley. He talked to yeah, McSorley. Yeah, and I mean physical physical stuff aside, like just the, I guess the, the way the guy carries himself in his presence. Uh, James came away very impressed with him, just kind of as a mature leader, uh, so to speak. Which you know, uh, take that with a grain of salt. But um, Jakai Polite, yeah, I mean the bashing thing. So I've seen some tweets uh, since then. Uh, some guys who actually got video of the conversation. So his bashing thing. Basically, what he was just saying is that the NFL teams were showing him film and saying, like, hey, on, on this play, you got beat or on this play, you got swallowed up or on this play, you know, you had a penalty or whatever. Explain to me what you were doing, why. And then what they try to do is say, OK, we would like you to do it this way instead. Do you understand? And then kind of demonstrate that you understand. 
uh, what they're saying. So when he was saying they were bashing him, that's basically what he was talking about. And that is echoed by many, many of the other prospects. The difference is they're not using the word bashing. <laughs> and right. that's really where the right. polite kind of went. Why south do you end. think that was? I think it's just verbiage. I, I honestly, I think that's just the way he talks. And, and I felt really bad for him, man, because I'm not going to lie. I'm standing there with all the other media people standing around his podium and I can see the writing on the wall. I'm like, dude, just stop, stop saying so that they're you bashing. Just say, yeah, stop you're going to just bad. use the different word. You're saying it. Right. Same exactly. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So, but now take that. So he did have a terrible media session. However, that's not the reason why. Um, at one point in time, he was asked about what he looks for when he watches film of himself. And he said he doesn't watch film on himself, which mm, I know isn't true. Because I good. guarantee you the coaches of Florida make themselves scout. Uh, so I don't know if he just didn't miss, didn't understand the question or just kind of the lights and everything. Uh, he he's a guy who very much he seems like he's a he's a people pleaser. Like as media members were laughing at some of the things he was saying, or he was saying, he kind of continued along that path. And what he didn't realize is those weren't things they weren't laughing because they were good things that he was saying. He they were laughing because they were buzzwords and there were things that they were going to be able to use later to kind of expose some things. And and it's unfortunate for him. It just kind of shows the immaturity. Of, of some of these guys and then yeah the how physical old stuff is, how and, old is he do you do you know i actually do, i honestly don't I'll know look it up uh, but, i mean what, but what do you do did and i and i hate to interrupt on that but no. does that kind of factor a little bit into how these guys I, I tell you this is i know i'm a different person at 19 and 22 i'm a different yeah. person at 22 and 30 right I don't. I, I'm gonna look up his age, but was you're you're talking about? Old. Yeah, you're. Oh, twenty. So 20. he's a baby. He's a baby. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I don't think it's gonna be as impactful as as maybe some people think it is. Um, I do think that he slipped out of the first round, but that's because of the physical side of it. That's the more concerning side of this whole thing. Is right. he showed up carrying a lot of bad weight? Uh, he. You can pretty much tell he really hasn't been working out. At, like tell he us, should be tell us a NFL little bit player. what happened with him just all of his measurables so well not all his measurable because he didn't even finish the workout the biggest thing is that after he came out showed a poor poor performance in the initial part of the actual workout day he kind of came up with an injury and this was an injury that definitely did i, I saw one draft uh, analyst analyst tweet out uh you know jakai polite forgot to fake the injury before he reported it and that's that's kind of the big things. Like you see, you saw guys like Greedy Williams not be able to finish his workout because he started getting cramps. The thing though about Greedy Williams is you saw him physically start getting cramps during some of the drills, so you can kind of explain uh, some of the the gaps in his performance because you could see his body physically getting injured. You know, it, they're cramps, right. so it's not a legit thing, but you could see that with Jakai Polite. You never saw that. It, it just was the after there thing. was it was, it was the after exactly thing. It was like oh a bad I was start hurt to his, oh I was hurt yep. Yeah, and it just comes across as an excuse. Now, his pro day is going to be huge because the maturity thing, like you guys said, he's a kid. You know, he's a baby, whatever you want to call him. He's young. Um, if you draft Ja'Kai Polite, you're probably not drafting him to be the face of your franchise, so you're not really worried about ushering him out in front of the media, you know, 24-7 and all that stuff. He's not going to be your Cam Newton. So you're not too worried about that. Uh, the performance is the big thing. The body shape is, is the other big thing. His, if he can come back from his pro day and show that he learned his lesson that he realized his mistakes, that stuff can be forgiven and he could potentially crawl back into kind of the back end of the first round. But I think any top 15 talk on Ja'Kai Polite is done. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. 
that's funny that you say that because you know I've been doing some scouting myself recently, and you know one of the things that I'm trying to figure out is how do you value or weigh potential versus production? So, for Ooh, example, great uh, question. Great so, question. So, uh, so Rashawn Gary, this is a player that he was the number mm-hmm. one high school player uh, when he went to Michigan. He's an absolute freak athlete, just a dominant player. And, you know, he didn't put up the numbers that they expected him to put up. He only had three and a half sacks at Michigan. Whereas you have a player like Cleveland Farrell from Clemson, and he put up, you know, 11 and a half sacks in his time at Clemson. But they're saying, well, he doesn't bend well. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he he isn't the most athletic player. So if you're a player – sitting in the middle of the draft like the Panthers are. And let's say Rashawn falls all the way down. You know, mm-hmm. how, how much how much do you put on the the physical traits that a player displays rather than the amount of numbers that they either did or didn't put up when they were in college? Yeah, I mean, I think production at the end of the day has to be it's it's part of the equation, but it's more of a uh, I, w- I would call it more of a tiebreaker than than anything else. I mean, uh, it depends on the position you're talking about, obviously, as well. I mean, when you're talking about wide receivers, you're you're looking for good catch rates, you're looking for good catch percentages and all that stuff. But uh, I just saw a clip today of DK Metcalf uh, completely turning his defender around and burning him and just making him look stupid. Yeah. Uh, and then the pass was five yards behind him. Okay, so I'm not going to hold yeah. that, that incompletion against DK Metcalf. What I'm looking for there is, how he got off the line against press, how he ma- manipulated his guy with his body and his feet, and how he was able to just kind of turn that guy around. Now, at the same time, where, where what school are we talking about? You know, because if, if that's Greedy Williams, then it means a lot more than if it's, you know, insert name here from some small school. You know, it, it's going to be easier to do that. Uh, you look at Debo Samuel. Uh, there's a, and I know we're kind of getting off for Sean Gary, but there's a, there's a clip of Debo doing the same thing, manipulating a slot defender. Well, I can't remember the name of the school. But it was some. It was a very small school, not not one of your top programs in the country. So, is he going to be able to do that against a slot defender in the NFL? So, when you look at a guy like Gary, what what worries me about guys like him is the fact that he's winning because of his natural ability, and that's it, it's kind of hard it's to do. Because, easy, it's easy in college, isn't it? To exactly. win on your and, natural ability. Yep, and that's where Ed Oliver is another player who has some people worried yes, because yes. some of the competition he was playing against, he's just. He's so much more physically dominant than the, than his opponent that he never really needed to lean on the technical side of his game. Now, does that mean they can't be technical? Well, that's what the workouts are for. That's what the combine pad drills are for to see some of that bend. Uh, Montez Sweat had some questions about his bend coming into the Senior Bowl. Coming out of the Senior Bowl, people were – it was kind of a mixed bag. Like some people said they saw enough bend out of him. Some people said they didn't see enough bend out of him. They were still real, real tight in the knees and the hips. But then coming into the draft, I mean, that dude, it was like he was floating parallel sometimes. I mean, that dude showed yeah. Ben for days, you know what I mean? So he answered a lot of those questions. If he performs at his pro day, he'll have an opportunity to show that he's continuing that, and that'll put some of those things uh, at ease. So that's kind of where you have that that balance between the two. And some of that can come in in the interview stage because some of the players talked about uh, being, being asked things about their technique and how they plan on getting better and how they how what, what parts of their games they want to improve. And if a player... I want to say uh, – I'm trying to remember who it was. I want to say Ed Oliver was one who was asked by a media member, where's an area of your game that you want to improve and how do you want to do it? 
And the answer he gave, I mean, you'd have thought this was a coach standing up on a whiteboard breaking down how to train defensive ends and defensive linemen. It, it was just great. But then if you get a guy who says, well, I want to get better using my hands, so, you know, when the coaches tell me how to use my hands better, I'll just do it. Well, that's not going to give you a whole lot of confidence that this is a self-starter who can get better in those areas you haven't seen because of production. And right. I think he was really handcuffed a little bit by Michigan, um, you know, especially in the defense. I mean, if if, you're, if your gap penetrators aren't, aren't eating their gaps, eating their blocks as a linebacker, you're not going to be able to do the things you need to do. If, if, if coverage schemes, you know, if, if when he's in coverage in the middle of the field, if he's having to kind of back up and, and, and eat two receivers or eat two routes because another guy isn't, isn't hanging with his guy, that's going to look a little bit different. It's going to make him more tentative, which could then actually look like stiffness uh, when you look at tape. And I think he kind of felt victim to a lot of that. You know, one thing I saw, it was a guy on Twitter talking about how people drone on and on about how tape and film have to be the main determinant. Mm -hmm. And he was saying this. Then he went on to criticize that, like, well, you have to understand in the context of tape, you could be playing inferior competition. All of these different things, like, similar, similarly to what you were saying, the limitations of just looking at stats. For me, yeah. what my, my single thing was this, is that we have data. That's all we have. We have data. We have the combine data. We have the film data. We have the all these the <clears throat> interview data. But at the end of the day, the data <clears throat> the, the data is not equal. Right? Is that it is weighted. That is like we can't overwhelm ourselves when it comes to the data of just like, hey, this guy ran a forty time. We go crazy and then you look at the tape. And you can't let the tape overwhelm the physical attributes data, right? So now that you've been at the combine, you've seen all this data. Has your position, David, changed a little bit in how you evaluate it? You go, and, and, and it's a hard question to ask, but what I'm asking is this, is that you went, you haven't been to the combine before, but now you've been there. You know, do you less value? Where is has the data value changed for you, I guess? Did we lose David? Did they, David? Oh, yeah, sorry, I'm here. Okay. Um <laughs> from a from a football theology standpoint, I've always favored a 3-4 defense, which is weird because I've covered the Bucks and until this year they've basically always been a 4-3 uh base defense. And from an offensive standpoint, I prefer a very aggressive downfield style, which which is why I love coaches like Bruce Arian so much and why I love the fact that Todd Bowles is coming and take over the Buccaneers defense because they basically fit exactly the kind of things that I like to see. Now, when you're talking about player evaluations, I've always looked for like when, when I judge who I like and who, who I want to see on my team or on the team that I'm covering, I'm always looking for the, the fighter's mentality and I'm always looking for physical athletic ability over production and even necessarily over what physical things they were able to show in college, if that makes sense. So I, I'm always reminded of uh, Michael Thomas. If you can't tell, wide receiver is one of my favorite positions to evaluate. Um, Michael Thomas coming out of Ohio State 
was was a second, uh, sometimes even third round draft pick, depending on some of the draft experts and everything else. And I absolutely hated it. I was pulling what little hair I have out, uh, screaming at the top of any podcast that would have me on, saying that Michael Thomas was a day one talent if I've ever seen one before. And and the benefit I had was I was actually able to attend Ohio State's Pro Day that year and see Michael Thomas in the flesh in person in front of the scouts. And what he was doing in his Pro Day, and I think that uh, Keyshawn Johnson probably had a lot because they're related, probably had a lot to do with this, is he was showing a lot of the routes that he wasn't able to run while he played at Ohio State because Ohio State's pass offense, uh, especially under head coach Urban Meyer, is very simplified. And it doesn't ask the receivers to do a whole lot of things. What Urban Meyer liked to do at Ohio State with his offense is a lot of uh, getting his receivers open using scheme versus using moves. So he didn't really ask them to make a lot of breaks. He didn't really ask them to be very versatile in how they ran their routes because he would use two or three routes on the same side of the field to get somebody open just from the scheme itself, which is fine. But that's why you see some of these Ohio State receivers being so undervalued. Uh, I don't know how Panthers fans feel about Curtis Samuel. Um, I feel like he probably could be more effective in the offense than he has been uh, if he was used a little bit differently. Michael Thomas obviously has proven me right in that he's a, he was clearly a day one talent. I mean, probably the best wide receiver in that draft class if you go back and look at it. Uh, Jalen Marshall is a guy who came out with Michael Thomas, and until he met with some injury issues and some other issues, performance-wise, he was – he went from a late draft pick to their number three receiver in the blink of an eye. And then, like I said, injury and some other things happened. And now he's in the uh, the Alliance of American Football playing for Orlando Apollos. But I see guys like Paris Hilton and or Paris Hilton, uh, Paris Campbell. And <laughs> that was funny. Uh, I see guys like Paris Campbell and I see She's very similar too things. Skinny. She's way too skinny. <laughs> yeah, I see Paris Campbell coming out this year and some of the other Ohio State receivers coming out this year. And I see very similar things in them. And Paris Campbell was able to show a lot of that in the combine. That dude has got athletic ability uh, for for days. I've been watching him since he was a freshman. Like he caught my eye as a freshman in Columbus, and I've only seen him get better. He did have some ball issues earlier. He's fixed those ball issues. If you watch watch this last season, uh, he's got good hands now. I don't think he's ever going to be like a fly trap hands type of guy, but he's got good hands. He's got the size. He's got the physicality. He's got the wingspan. He's got the athleticism. So now you get a guy like that. Now this is where I love coaches like Bruce Arians and even guys like Ron Rivera because they talk about teaching versus executing. It's not on the players to execute our vision. It's on us to teach them what they need to do to execute what we need them to do. And that's where guys like Michael Thomas, that's where guys like Paris Campbell can come into a franchise and do wonders because they get taught how to use all those athletic skills. So what I want is a guy who wants to eat, and has athletic ability because I can teach you everything else. It isn't it, you know, it's almost like a vindication when a draft crush that you have ends up going into the NFL and just blows it up. So, you know, oh, yeah. you were talking about Michael Thomas for mine last year, it was Justin Reed who went to the Texans. I thought mm-hmm. it was a first round prospect. And, uh, you know, the fact that he fell all the way to the third round, was just criminal in my mind. And then when you watch him play this year, he balled out. He was a guy that I loved for the Panthers uh, last year. And why they're going to let potentially the Honey Badger walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it certainly plays into it. But, um, and, you know, you mentioned receivers. And um, I, I kind of have uh, – well, I'll, I'll go ahead and start with this. Um, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, Michael Thomas was someone that, that you really uh, liked – coming out 
Um, there's a, a player that a lot of Panther fans, including myself, have an eye on. Uh, his name is Hakeem Butler. And that's mm-hmm. another one who I feel for a guy his size, he's incredibly athletic, uh, big arms, catch radius is insane. And, uh, you know, we're going to lose Devin Funches. We're going to let him mm-hmm. test the free agent waters. You know, what, what do you think uh, or what do you know about Butler? And do you feel that's another guy who might be another Michael Thomas type receiver, a big frame, runs his routes well, and uses that physicality to be able to win downfield? Yeah, I, I like Butler a lot. I think that he made a lot of money at the combine. I think he's going to continue to make money throughout the process. Nice. Um I don't think so. I didn't get to speak to him directly. I don't think he's one of the guys that the Buccaneers spoke to specifically, but I do know that there were a lot of media people around Indianapolis who were kind of buzzing around him and they kind of actually turned me on to watching him more than I had before because I hadn't actually watched a lot of him. Um, I'd have to go back to watch a lot of his tape to see if some of the athleticism shows back up in the film. But again, that's kind of one of those situations where you see this kid with this superior athletic ability and if he's got that hunger and if he's got that willingness to fight and get better, then that could be something you can work with and put together. And if he's still there in the second or the third rounds, I mean, this is becoming a very good wide receiver class. I liked this wide receiver class kind of from the jump, but more and more, like as as each day passes by, I'm seeing more and more from like the national media talking about this wide receiver class. Um, if you guys don't know about Brad Kelly, who works over uh, for the Draft Network, that dude is is probably one of the best, if not the best, wide receiver we've guys. Been, we've been uh, talking right with now. him on Twitter today, actually. Yeah, yeah, he's he's great. I mean, if you want to know wide receivers, you get him on the show, and uh, he's he's yeah. I mean, he might he might spin your head a little bit, but uh, he's he's very smart on wide receivers, and I know that he's he's got some hot, some good things to say about him as well. Let me ask you this: is uh, it's kind of a, I'm going to give you a tough question to start, an easy one to mm-hmm. finish. The the tougher question is this is because my wife's family are all Georgia alumni. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Ledbetter, mm-hmm. a couple of problems early in his college career. They seemingly seem minor, and what I mean by that is like, hey, what nineteen year old kid doesn't get a drinking ticket? And then right. you're a 19-year-old football superstar. Did Jonathan Ledbetter, did you get any sense? Did he Was he able to kind of uh, alleviate some of the concerns with his personality? Because to me, I think he could fall in the draft unnecessarily. Big talent there. What mm-hmm. do you think about Ledbetter? So I've seen Ledbetter. I haven't studied Ledbetter, and there, there's a very big difference in Cody. I'm sure you would agree with that. So oh, yeah. from what I've seen, I think he definitely has an NFL skill set. I think he can be successful in the NFL. However, as far as interviews and everything, I honestly don't know anything about any of his interviews. Um, I don't think he interviewed with the Buccaneers. And as you guys know, being the combine, I'm really right. focused on what the Buccaneers Certainly. are doing. Um, so I don't know how he interviewed, but... In these types of situations, there's a there's a whole lot of good and usually only a few bads. So if if the national media hasn't grabbed on to a, to a morsel of bad news, I would assume they at least went average to good. If that if that helps at all. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. As you're out there, who's rising in your books? Who is it? What? Actually, I don't know. You tell us. You tell you take the show over. 
<laughs> what is going on? What do you want to talk about? Who's going up? Who's going down? What did, what what do you want to talk about? I think all the guys who are dropping are are pretty much universal. Like uh Jonah Williams. I mean, Jonah Williams started off the draft season as like a top five guy. Like a lot of people were mocking him to the Bucks at five. And now he's more of kind of a mid first round. Uh, I've I've seen him as low as like 18, 19, uh, even in some mock drafts. And a lot of it is stemming from whether or not NFL teams feel like he can play tackle or he can play guard. And then again, his interview. So I know how he interacted with the media. And that's that's always something that we have to keep in, in perspective as well is these players don't care as much about how they interview with the media as much as they do how they interview with with the actual teams themselves. So to the media it's, itself, he kind of came off as a little bit disinterested, a little bit uh, borderline rude. I wouldn't say completely rude, but just you could tell he was kind of sick of answering the questions about uh, having shorter arms. And he actually has a, a pretty couple, uh, a couple pretty, pretty <laughs> funny moments. I would be too, right? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't blame him at all. Um, the the only thing that he's got to remember, and again, this kind of goes back to: is he really going to be the face of your franchise? Probably not. Like even like Joe Thomas wasn't necessarily the guy at the podium every day for the Cleveland Browns while he was in his career. So I mean, a guy like Jonah Williams is probably not going to be in front of the media as much as he was uh, for the combine. But just kind of the overall demeanor just really didn't sit well with a lot of people. And then especially when you look two podiums down. And you've got a guy like Dalton Reisner who is sitting there in, with the same circumstances with people yeah. saying he's probably not going to be a tackle. He's probably going to be a guard. And he literally at one point, and this kind of lets you know how much he made an impact. Uh, at one point he was asked, how do you feel about, or how do, where do you think teams see you right now? And he said, I think most teams see me as a right tackle. But I know some of them see me as a guard. And that's fine because if you want me to be a guard and be the best guard you ever had. And that's the attitude you want. Whereas... Jonah Williams said, if you want me to play guard, I'll play guard. But I'm telling you, I'm a left tackle. Well, that kind of rubs people a little bit the wrong way. Now, again, I don't know that he said those in the interviews. I haven't heard anything coming out of his interviews about him being, you know, disrespectful or kind of saying those kinds of things. But that Um, was your impression, though. I mean, that was a lot of people's impression. Yeah, Uh, it was a little bit off putting. Um, As far as risers, obviously, Montez Sweat, I mean, absolutely balled out. I still don't think he's a top five guy, but I think he's definitely worked his way into. Uh, the top 15 conversation. Um, ben Minogu, you mentioned him. Um, that dude lit it up. If he, if he can replicate some of the same things that he did at the Combine on his pro day, he's only going to continue climbing. Um, I think he's definitely a day two guy who's who's made some money. And then Paris, <clears throat> excuse me, Paris Campbell. Um, yeah, he's my favorite receiver of the entire draft, and it kind of helps because I'm an Ohio State fan at the same time. But <laughs> that's not why he's my favorite guy. He's my favorite guy because he, he absolutely blew it up. Uh, for for his draft stock himself, I still think he's a day two guy, but I think he's going to go much earlier than originally expected. Yeah, I, I hear you, man. Listen, I'm a diehard Clemson Tiger fan, so whenever I see a Cleveland Farrell uh, mock mm-hmm. to the Panthers at, at 16, I'm a I'm a I'm a happy camper. But um, you know, I, I wanted to talk about a guy that I've seen even going to Tampa Bay as early as five, and sparked somewhat of a discussion last Tuesday night between Tony. And I remember talking about him. Um, and that's a guy by the name of Devin White. And I know, uh, I, you know, maybe you even mentioned him uh, when we were talking about Shaq Thompson, or maybe you were going to mention him. You know, we're going to a 3 4 defense or moving at least to have some of those fronts mixed in on our defense and what we do. And, you know, I mentioned the fact that, man, if you put Devin White next to Luke for the, I mean, 
good luck being able to run the football. You know what I mean? I think Devin White is an incredible prospect. But uh, I even know that Quan Alexander, uh, that's his boy. I mean, they were going back and forth on Twitter uh, about, you know, uh, wanting Devin White to come to Tampa Bay. Do you have a feel for how far Devin White could go in this draft? And do you feel uh, even a place like Tampa Bay might be a nice landing spot for Devin White? Uh, I feel like right now, as it stands today, Devin White's going top 10. Um, the Buccaneers absolutely wow. love him. Wow. He interviewed amazingly with the Buccaneers, from what I'm told. I wasn't in the room, obviously. Uh, but from what I'm told, he he absolutely uh, blew the roof off the place with the Buccaneers. And you can kind of tell sometimes how things went with some of these players. Uh, you, you get a feel because you ask. So for some, for those who don't know, so every player meets with every team. Um, right. In an informal fashion, right? It's kind of like a round robin, like, hey, here's this team, here's this team, here's this team. And those are kind of considered meetings, but they're not really what people are asking for. So when you get a player who says, oh, yeah, yeah, I met with everybody. Well, that means that they're not getting a whole lot of formal interviews, which is kind of embarrassing to say in public because it means that there's not a lot of teams out there kind of take for information. Now, there's two reasons that happens. Um, some guys, I mean, you look at a guy like Foster Moreau uh, out of, out of uh, LSU. Yeah. He's kind of a known a known identity. Like people kind of know what you're going to get from him. So they're not going to spend a formal interview on him because you kind of already know what you're going to get. Whereas when you look at a guy like a Kyler Murray, because you know, obviously the the headlines, you look at a guy like a Jonah Williams or some of these guys like Montez Sweat, you want to sit down and talk with them because you don't know fully the how, how you're gonna how you're gonna grasp a guy like that. So it's it's kind of weird. But when you look at Devin White, so Devin White had, I want to say the day we spoke to him, he had 19 formal meetings scheduled okay uh or, or scheduled or completed when we asked about the buccaneers that dude lit up like a christmas tree i mean wow. i don't i don't think i've ever seen a smile bigger on, on, on a kid's face and and not only the connection with Quan alexander but also kendall beckwith uh, a linebacker for the buccaneers who may or may not be able to play actually he's kind of he's kind of coming back from an ankle injury that uh, apparently may actually be career-threatening but Wow. The idea for for Devin White and he, these are these are his words. Not I'm not going to quote him right now, but in his words, the idea of being on the same team as Quan Alexander and Kendall Beckwith is basically a dream. Um, like that would just be an amazing experience for him and something that he's definitely down for. I'm sure being the fifth overall pick helps that situation. Um, yeah. But that's definitely so because I mean he was asked about like the Lions and the Packers. He's like, yeah, yeah, I talked to them. Yeah, yeah, I talked to them. Uh, he's friends with Jared Davis there in Detroit. He's like, would you like to play with him? He's like, yeah, yo, Jared's cool. I like to play with him. No problem. But, I mean, when you asked about the Bucks and Quan Alexander, I mean, that dude, I mean, you you just made his day uh, asking about that. And I know, like I said, we're being told the Bucks love him as well. Uh, Jason Light loves to play the draft game. Um, I think he probably grew up playing Madden because that dude loves to trade uh, as often as he can. And I really feel like there's probably, if, if, the, if Devin White is the target, I think they're probably looking to trade back to, you know, 8, 9, or 10, depending on who they can get to trade up with them and take him in that range versus taking him at five, only because they're really – I want to say there's only been two linebackers. Uh, I, the way I put it was since the Patriots started winning Super Bowls, there's only been two linebackers drafted in the top five uh, for a reason. So if they could trade out to you know eight or nine or ten and then draft him there, I think that would be the best spot uh, for the Buccaneers. But I know they love him, and some of that is going to depend on whether or not Quan Alexander gets signed. If, if Quan comes back – Interior linebacker is a little bit less of a need uh, for the Buccaneers than it is without Quan because the Buccaneers also have Kevin Minter, who was a second-round draft pick in Arizona when Bruce Arians was there, and they were running uh, a 3-4 system. 
So if he's a guy that they feel like can be that second interior linebacker to Aquan Alexander, obviously that drops Devin White's stock on their board uh, just a little bit. I don't think the Panthers need a guy like Devin White or even Devin Bush because I think that I don't think Shaq Thompson makes sense as a 3-4 outside linebacker. So if you draft an interior linebacker like Devin White or Devin Bush, I feel like you have to you have to move on from Shaq Thompson. And uh, I don't know if the, if the Panthers really want to do that. I think their best bet is to keep Shaq Thompson, move him inside with Keekly, and hit the edge. Uh, if I had to do um, – I, when I was kind of preparing to talk to you guys tonight, I actually just because I – like you, I'm, I'm a draft nerd, right? So I kind yeah. of did like a little mini mock draft in my own head. If I were the Panthers, this is perfect world, right? And I didn't run through a full, you know, round simulator or anything like that. But this is just perfect world. If I'm the Panthers, what I'm looking to do is grab Garrett Bradbury in the first. And I'm looking to grab Jalen Ferguson in the second. And I'm looking to grab Ben Bonogu in the third. And if you do that, I think you just drafted three starters that are going to help protect your, your quarterback, help Christian McCaffrey find space. And then your defense is going to be uh, in a very good way, uh, in a very good position. And honestly, I would go wide receiver in the fourth. How, how do you feel about about Devin White? Is that you oh, know? Wow. I know you. I know you mentioned um, uh, you know if you sign Quan Alexander, then maybe it doesn't make as much sense to draft yeah. him at five. But I mean, you're, you're a Tampa Bay guy. Is there any player right now that you're kind of in love with for your team right now? Uh, I love, I love Devin. Um, Ed Oliver is someone that more in the 12 to 15 range that I like, but I think that drafting Ed Oliver means that the Buccaneers move on from Gerald McCoy. Um, so we'll kind of see how that, that goes. Uh, there's, there's rumors back and forth on whether or not the Bucks are going to commit to Gerald McCoy or move on. So we don't really know what's happening there. Um, I think edge is more important than the interior linebacker position if they bring back Quan. but something about Quan is that he's, he's been their, their radio guy. The entire time he's been in Tampa Bay. So if you lose Quan, not only are you losing your middle linebacker, but you're losing the guy who's set your defense for the last four years, and that's that's bigger right. than than maybe anything else. All right, we're we're getting towards the end of this, and and fantastic information here. For me, one one of the things that stands out is the idea is, and obviously today with the news that Olivier Vernon or Vernon Olivier, I can't ever determine who the actor is and who the player is i know who i'm talking about it uh, is i believe it's olivier yeah is that the idea is this is that he was a 4-3 defensive end in miami and then he's an outside linebacker when he goes to like you said the giants transitioning Mm -hmm. for me when i said when i hear the word linebacker I'm like, gosh, that cannot be a top 10 pick or a top five, at least like you were saying. But then you add into the fact that is there's the potential like you're not really a linebacker, you're really a defensive end, you're a stand up defensive end in a three, four. Then that changes right. the game right now. What I want to ask it, the final question is this is we want to know about the Bucks. Mm-hmm. We want to know Arians coming in. He's a buddy. Him and him and Jameis Winston are buddy-buddy. You got Mike Evans. You've got some offensive weapons. There have been some questions on the offensive line. You just signed your left tackle to a a notable deal, but not giant. Yeah. Notable, yeah. but not giant. Where are you? Where are the Bucks at this point heading into free agency in the draft? So the Buccaneers need a right guard. 
Um, they're moving. So their right guard from last year, Caleb Beninok, uh, did not do well. Let's just let's just put it that way. They're moving him back to tackle. So in 2017, that he, sounds worse. So, <laughs> moving yeah, it sounds moving well. from guard to tackle sounds like a worse decision. So the so the funny thing about that is in, in 2017 he actually was a tackle on the team and he filled in a little bit here and there for injury and, and stuff like that and kind of kind of you know giving guys rest and here and here and there and all that and he didn't do too poorly as a right tackle. Now he was a rookie. He was definitely not a high round draft pick or anything like that. Um he did all right. He had some potential. He showed some potential. I really liked what he showed in his rookie year. And then last year they moved him to right guard. And I'm not gonna lie, when when the move first happened, I was very skeptical about it. But I was like, well, I like Caleb. I like what he brings. We'll see. I kind of felt like he was undersized to play inside and it basically showed to be true. So now they're moving him back outside to right tackle. DeMar Dotson, they just picked up an option on him. He's he's old as hell. I mean, he's he's going to be retiring here in the next year or two. Um, so what I think they're trying to do is see if Caleb can kind of start to develop to become that future starting right tackle. So in the meantime, they always have a gap at right guard. They don't have a lot of cap space right now. Uh, there's there's some some talks under the table, and I mean contracts. Really, I mean when you Jason Light and, and what the Buccaneers have done in the front office, they they can handle contracts. So I'm not really worried about cap space, but I don't know if they're going to necessarily go out and try to sign a veteran right guard to, to kind of plug and play. What I really feel like the Buccaneers are trying to do is grab a right guard either in the first round, including involving a trade back or in the second round. Uh, they're early in day two. Dalton Reisner is a guy that I have on my radar for a day two pick. If he makes it that far uh, to, to come in and be able to play that right guard position and really kind of shore up that offensive line linebacker, obviously, like you said, depending on what happens with Quan, as I sit right now, whenever I write something or talk on the podcast, I don't count Quan as being on the team because as of right now, he's not on the 2019 Ouch. roster. He's a great player, uh, though. Great. He really player. is. Um, he's so good. What I feel like they're doing is something that the Patriots have been known to do is say, hey, we love you. We want you. We're not meeting on the number. Go out into the open. See what you can. It's like a, it's like an NFL rumspringer, right? Like, go see what what's what's out there for you. And when you realize all that stuff is evil, come back to us and we'll make things happen. <laughs> However... I feel like he's going to go out into the world and find out that everybody loves him. And I, I'm, I'm worried that when they let him go, he's not coming back. Right. Um, which is what makes Devin White such an attractive option. And linebackers, and, and we have the same talk actually within the Bucks Nation staff, linebackers definitely aren't usually considered high draft picks, especially your sure. middle linebackers. Even though sure. they kind of set everything and do all that, they're just not. So it is a little bit scary. However, when you look at this class, uh, Devin White and Devin Bush are your two starting inside linebackers in this draft class. After that, they're all backups. They're all depth. So if you don't have Quan Alexander, uh, Kevin Minter did all right last year. He can't be your primary inside linebacker moving to a 3-4. you got to get a stud to replace him with. And, and there's been some talks of possibly Levante David moving inside. So, I mean, if that's if that's something the Bucks want to do is Quan walks, they move Levante inside. Now you can target edge. Either way, they need edge rushers. Uh, they do. They they can use an inside linebacker. Just what kind of round you're looking for? Uh, I would like to see them go after a safety. I prefer Tyron Matthew, but if they can't get Tyron Matthew, then there's some in the draft early in the draft. Uh, maybe in the Sir Adderley, if somehow by the grace of God he slips to the second round, well, uh, hey, they there, can, they can there, go and grab him. There is a connection there between Tyron Matthew and and Bruce Arians. So, oh that yeah, a big one. Possible. 
Yeah. And, and I've looked at, I did a, a free agent profile on a guy, Marcus Golden coming out of Arizona again. I mean, I know teams really hate to see that. Like when, when a guy comes from another team and starts pulling in all these free agents from his former team, but you know what, when that former team uh, was, was 10 and six and a Super Bowl favorite, I'm okay with you pulling guys from that former team. Yeah, And then when um, they got blasted by the Panthers in the NFC championship, they definitely did. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine with that as well. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. well, that's kind of where I see the, the the Buccaneers sitting right now. It's going to be really interesting. I feel like, and and there's no inside information behind what I'm about to say, but I feel like in the next uh, 72 hours to a week, it's it's going to be very exciting. There's going to be some some moves. I don't I don't know if there's going to be like a ton of like huge signings, but I feel like the combination of players who might get released or traded versus players who might be coming in, it's going to be a very exciting uh, next next week or so for the for the Buccaneers. What a tremendous discussion we have had tonight. Bonus edition of the C3 Panthers podcast. Thanks to David Harrison, who is our combine insider. I love to say that. Somebody who has <laughs> tweet me. I'm telling you, you made my day, brother. You made no, my bro. day Appreciate when you it. messaged me. And uh, tell our listeners how they can follow you on Twitter. Yeah, so again, at, uh, at DHA2 underscore Bucks, I do have some Panthers followers from being on your show in, in the past. And like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a football fan before anything else. And I'm, I'm more than happy to talk football with anybody at any time. Um, however, I will warn you, the second you call me a name, we're just going to stop talking. Oh, oh yeah. Well, <laughs> first of all, I would not think that Panther fans do that that often. And if they no, I did, yeah, I've had some Falcons fans do it. If they did, oh that was about Falcons. That's what yeah, I was going to say. Know. It was about the Falcons. <laughs> it was about Matt Ryan and how he's a crossdresser. But other than that, I feel like we're all on the same page. David Harrison, Locked On Bucks uh, podcast, as well as Bucks Nation writer, the C3 Combine Insider is what I say. You got to add to the bio cody it was a blast wasn't it absolutely man i love talking about this stuff i know david does too uh listen man you know the nfc south has some pretty bitter rivalries um i I have no good feelings at all towards the saints or the falcons but tampa bay it's kind of hard to hit tampa which is strange isn't it strange because the strange part about this is the saints have a ring the Bucks have a ring. Yeah, but the Falcons play. and the Panthers don't have a ring. Yeah. But we all hate the Falcons the most. Yeah, no. <laughs> that's the best part about this. The one thing about the NFC South is we all hate the Falcons the most. That's it. <laughs> For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.